right. Uh, <laughs> right. So what? What we were just welcome playing back, there. Welcome back to, to the Arlons podcast. I'm Craven. I'm Zach. Uh, what, what we were just playing there is a track lovingly titled "Entra Sad Mern." Uh, it's a gibberish, gibberish version of by the uh, by the well-known electro pop group Metallica. Metallica. Um, we're gonna just send that out to our Patreon people if they if they want it. <laughs> You know what? It rocks. If they it's, want it. It gets in the brain and it sticks there. Uh, yeah. Welcome to podcast episode nine. Yes, number nine for the week of April 3rd, 2017. This year of our Lord. The Lord's year. Welcome. Yeah. Money. I don't know. This uh, is a very special episode. That's all I know. Yep. We have a great interview coming up with Todd Vaziri. He's a lead visual effects artist at ILM. Great interview. Uh, we're really psyched to play that for you guys. Uh, just... Heads up, this is our very first interview. We'll, we'll, we'll probably get better at it over time, but it's very casual in yes. feeling. Todd is hilarious. He's, uh, he's a smart guy. He's got one-punch knockout power. He's the best. <laughs> one-punch man. One-punch man. Yeah, he's going to share some, uh, some really cool insights on what he does at Industrial Lights and Magic and some other things that you may not know about him. Some, some good some, anecdotes. Some good anecdotes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but first, we're going to talk about some current events, yeah, things that have been happening and things that are going to be happening. Yeah, first of all, we just got back from a trip to Texas. We were invited to AggieCon for their 48th, yeah, their 48th annual uh, convention to be guest panelists. And it was, uh, it was, a, that was our, I think it's our first con, like con. Yeah, ever. that's our and first it was, con. It was, an, it was very small, but it's, but it was very intimate and really cool so much fun yeah. we met some really awesome people out there yeah um not the least of which is uh scott and beverly we go way back with them you know from from the the arl days uh scott in particular is uh, also a patreon supporter and him showing up was a was a great surprise but he was just uh he turns out he's a pretty badass human being as well <laughs> <laughs> his status as human being is top level <laughs> And Beverly, who, uh, when I announced that we were going to be there, she was one of the people that responded uh, that she'll be there too. And I was walking, just cruising by some comic book stands, and I thought I saw her out of the corner of my eye. There's those weird moments where you know someone online, but you've never seen them in real life, where you have to pull the trigger and decide if you're going to be like, hey, I know you. And it worked out. It turned out I did. Turned out she had the same thought, but she decided to keep walking. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah so. really great to meet you guys. Uh, we had a blast talking and hanging out with you. Uh, also, Becca and Catherine were two uh, new people that we met. The whole thing took place as part of Texas A&M's special programs, and they are students there, I believe, in robotics and music production. Is that? Yep. Yeah. Which was kind of cool because we did a presentation on music production and which, by the way, next time we do a presentation on music production, we're going to bring a rig with us and we're going to do a, a we're, we're going to build a track. We're going to bust out a live, live jam uh, live on the spot um, in case we ever get that chance again. Um, that Which reminds me, I think we're going to pursue. We've never really pursued these kind of opportunities. They just came to us. But I think that that was a lot of fun. I think we're going to pursue these from now on. Anyway. Totally. Uh, also, we met some really cool artists down there that were doing uh, other panels and other guests. Uh, illustrator Martin Whitmore and his partner Elizabeth. Uh, animator and artist Tristan Dunman. VO artist Aaron Roberts. Uh, and dating coach and blogger uh, Harris, Harris O'Malley. Harris O'Malley, yeah. a.k.a. Nerdlove. Dr. Nerdlove. Dr. Nerdlove. Yeah. You may have seen his work on Kotaku and io9. He's uh, He's got a dating advice column that's a regular feature on those. Yep, really cool, eclectic group of people. He was actually the only guy I knew going into the thing uh, from his previous work because mm. I've, I've actually read his his articles before that. Oh, nice. He specializes in geek-based <laughs> uh, love advice. Totally. So yeah, we'll, we'll have information um, in the info for the podcast if you want to check out a lot. Of, there's a lot of great work there uh, that they've done that you guys should totally take a look at. Uh also, uh, big thanks to Mallory and Sammy for who Sammy was kind of uh, the star of the show, kind of hosting all the panels and just being a general madman, running around keeping it together. He did like a cosplay Jeopardy and a cosplay dating game, and just t totally dynamic, awesome guy. Yeah, he's a whip smart, funny guy, and it turns out he was one of the two people that recommended that we be guests there. <laughs> Becca being the other one, mm -hmm. uh, we uh, Craven asked at one point. He was like, "So how did you guys decide to invite us?" And they said they had anonymous write-ins, and we got a vote. 
And I don't think she meant to actually say the amount of votes we got, but she she it slipped. And so we threw the, an incredible comeback from behind victory. Arl Knotts became guest panelists with one vote. But Sammy and Becca both claimed they voted. So for a little bit, for a little bit after we arrived, we, nobody could figure out w- what we were doing there, <laughs> which was cool. It's, uh, it's really great to. Yeah, I I have a tendency to walk into situations just assuming that no one's ever heard of us, so I kind of play it like. Yeah. That's, so it's it's fun to be surprised when you meet people and they're actually familiar with your work. Totally. <laughs> but you're not disappointed if they're not. Also, a, a huge thanks to to Jed and Clint who were sort of assigned to take care of take us. care of us they and keep a lookout for us and be and they were really gracious hosts, really awesome guys. Yeah, they were really um you know they're vo- student volunteers. Clint actually picked me up from the airport and it turns out that was like a two hour drive. So props to him for putting up with me for two, two hours of uh, just nonstop ice breaking. <laughs> yeah, and and Alex. Uh, also introduced me to the Hamilton soundtrack, there you go. which I've been kind of avoiding for a while. We'll get into that maybe in another. I think you guys your podcast instead of breaking ice, you guys chose to just listen to the Hamilton podcast, <laughs> where yeah. I forced myself yeah. on Clint. I was like, "You will open up to me." <laughs> I could be like that. I don't like. I'm not the kind of guy that likes idle silence. It's tough. I know it's a virtue, but. <laughs> So it was really awesome to meet all of you guys. I hope you all stay in touch, and we will try to stay in touch with you guys. I do want to just point out that Jed, who was our primary uh, host, he couldn't make it because he had classes the day to pick us up from the airport, but he was with us the rest of the time. And he uh, he was a really cool kid who was uh, sort of trying to get familiar with the con scene himself. And at one point, he kind of just dove into the celebrity Jeopardy. It was a cosplay Jeopardy, yeah. where you had to be on, on the on, in the game as in character. And right. he he just just a regular dude who showed up, and he decided to go up as, uh, and just do Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and he kind of killed it. Yeah, he I was really it. I was really proud of him for just jumping in there, and uh, <laughs> he was a little nervous at first, but he 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 held his own. Yeah, that was hilarious. against an incredible Shaggy. <laughs> what was that guy's name? This guy was Shaggy the whole time. Uh, Bray. His Bray. name is Bray. Yeah, interesting they, dude for uh, sure. Bray. I, I don't know his full name, but he's a he. He does a Shaggy impersonation that's pretty top. Well, notch. apparently he's known for it. I he's, think he's, he's done it the last it. five years. He's dude. known for it. He's known. It is known that he is the best Shaggy. He's known for it. He was. Eat, I was kind of curious because he had a box of Scooby Snacks the whole time, and he was just. He was just constantly eating the Scooby snacks. And I was, I tried to figure it out. I was like, how does he eat so many Scooby snacks? And I, I kind of like creepily watched him and I noticed he nibbles. He pulls one Scooby snack out and it takes him about 10 minutes to eat one Scooby snack, but he keeps putting yeah, his hand in the box and uh, taking out the same snack over and over part again. Of your, when that's part of your shtick, I guess you got to ease up on how much you're eating. Yeah. If you like real time ate a box of Scooby snacks every <laughs> 10 minutes, you're going to die. He had the voice down and the mannerisms, but there was one other thing that he had down that I was really surprised by, which is at one point he freaked out and ran out of a room and he had like the shaggy run down which was even weirder <laughs> that classic Hanna-Barbera like legs flying all over the place and arms and these weird I don't even know how he pulled it off like physically it didn't even make sense to me when I saw it it's uh, actually the point where I'm kind of concerned about him like how deep <laughs> into the shaggy persona is he and how healthy is it so this is interesting this is our first con like we said and so we're unfamiliar with you know the rules and the guidelines but we got a book we got the uh, the program and there's some pretty interesting guidelines in here. You know, there's the normal ones that I would expect with, you know, cosplay deals with, you know, p- possible weapons and and harassment and all this stuff. But there's one section that kind of surprised me. It's the grooming section. Mm. And they did, they did put, you know, it was a little tongue in cheek, but it's kind of, you know, I'll just read it. Convention attendees are requested to engage in regular grooming habits to maintain their personal hygiene and limit body odors. This includes bathing or showering at least once per day and changing into clean clothes afterwards. If you need assistance in obtaining a space in which you can properly clean your body, please feel free to ask your friends if you could borrow their shower. Clean clothing is available for purchase in the dealer's room. Febreze is not considered an acceptable substitute for showering. Neither is Axe. So what's great, what's funny about this is that clearly it, it, it has been an issue in the past. I did not meet anybody there that would fit this, this need I, but, uh, I wonder though if Febreze was the solution for some people. Maybe I, I thought I, you know, there that was a time a in my real. there was a time in my life where I did think Febreze was a, a solution. I'm not. I, I mean, can identify with this. It, is what it I'm is saying. A solution for some for something. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember or how many of you are old enough, but when you could smoke in bars, 
Uh, you know, and I used to hang out with a buddy of mine who worked at a bar in, in NYC and I would come home just smelling like absolute garbage yeah. and I would just, I would Febreze myself and I thought I was good to go. And it turns out that I was, couldn't be more wrong. I just smelled like Febreze and, and stale cigarettes. Basically it was disgusting. <laughs> ah, the good old days. Oh boy. Yep. When people, yep. When I almost died of secondhand cancer. <laughs> Good times. So we had a good time at the conference. We did a couple panels that were really fun. We got some great feedback. Uh, really, really fun uh, time with that. And then there was a, they had a really nice VR section set up where they were uh, just running a host of different games on the Oculus and the Vive. And uh, to, it, personally, uh, I've been looking for the right system to pick up because I'm a huge VR nerd. But uh, to me, the Vive has won the, the battle for supremacy at this point. Uh, it was just too much fun. So we're going to yeah. be getting one of those and having, having fun with one of those. They had a really standout pro, uh, standout software called accounting. Oh, accounting. So good. Craven just showed up. He just can't, he found me and he was like, you need to come play accounting. And I was like, why? That sounds boring <laughs> shit. He goes, it's from the guys who made Rick and Morty. And it was, he goes, I was laughing the second it started. So I was like, okay, say no more. And that's, yeah. you know, I think when other people tried it though, the audio was screwed up, which is, oh, was a we, bummer. which is yeah. such an important component of that experience you need the the it's audio more, is where the comedy is so yeah. uh for a lot of people that it, it didn't come through but but that that one kind of sold me and that, it's fully if it, it, to give you a sort of an idea what to expect if you picture the the two episodes from rick and morty the um the interstellar cable episodes you know the i listened to the the, the making of those videos and most of them were improvisational. Like the, the guy would just go into a booth for two hours, drink a ton of wine and just vamp on these fake ads. And then they would animate around it. And I'm fairly certain that's how they made this game. And it's, it's incredible. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, there were a couple special panels. There was one called iron artist. Uh, if you think of the show, iron chef, it's basically, there's a mystery ingredient and they kind of deal with the same way. It's a mystery medium. You, it's not like the first round was like shirt paint and they had to paint on old shirts uh, second round was um, they were given pages from a Finding Dory coloring book, and it was totally it's like the rated X version. Yeah, they had a uh, yeah two. There were two versions. One was during the day. It was the G rated version of Iron Artist, and then round two was the R rated after hours version. Um, yeah, they they basically ask all the artists who are in teams of two to leave the room. People give about forty suggestions. When they come back, uh, the artists are asked to select a number at random, and that number. Correlates with one of the suggestions, so they get two suggestions, and they have to create a unique piece using all these tools. So, and then the uh, and then all the, all of those works were auctioned off at the end of the night for uh, children's uh, charities, and uh, we got into a bidding war <laughs> for the last work of the last uh, piece of artwork, and it was pretty funny. We got it up to like 165 dollars, and it was just somebody was determined to own that. Yeah, I guess. They just, we thought it'd be funny to have it and just frame it in our studio. But we, this guy, it was, he, it was, he was on a whole other level with his need for he it. Was, he was gunning for it. Yeah. And yeah. you, you noticed that he, after he won it, he was kind of like, kind of nodding his head, unsure. Like it's worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> like almost a question. <laughs> like he's not sure yet. I mean, I was prepared to take that all the way. You yeah. Know? Well, that was, that was a piece by our buddy who we mentioned earlier, uh, Marty Whitmore, uh, one of the artists that had a booth there and he, he and another guy, it's hard to explain. It was pretty dirty. It was really <laughs> dirty. And like I said, it was a coloring book page from Finding Dory. You might be able just, to find, maybe we can find something, uh, maybe we can find a link to it. I'm sure some yeah. people took some snapshots. And I, uh, yeah, he, he came up to us afterwards. He was blown away. I guess no one, no piece had ever sold for that much <laughs> in the history of, of Iron Artists. So he was just dying. He was laughing his ass it off during the a, bidding war. It was Every, for a good cause. Yeah. yeah. So thanks to the, thanks to, to, thanks to us, the children got a nice little chunk, a chunk of change. Uh, and thanks to the uh, large amount of penises on that drawing. That was, that was an insane amount of phalluses. Yep. Uh, let's see. We finished off. Uh, we ended up in Houston for an extra night uh, at a hotel where we had some really good barbecue. Uh, we did some swimming. We watched uh, the new comedy, The Sound of Your Heart, on Netflix, which Zach uh, introduced me to. It's hilarious. Yeah. Would highly recommend it. It's a South Korean comedy based yep. on a based on a web webtoon. Is what webtoons. they call it. Yeah, web comic. Pretty awesome. And then we uh, like we always do when we're traveling and have a chance to hang out. We sort of put all the fine finishing touches on our story for episode six. Yeah. It's so it's locked in for the most part. And it's, it's nuts. There, Yeah. There, there are always discoveries when you get into the, the edit and everything, but yeah. for the most part, we have the story down, which is always a really daunting part of the, the process is like, how the hell are we going to end this thing? Yeah. 
So, yeah, I would say without, f- on that note, we should segue into our interview with Todd. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Here he here is. Here we go. We're psyched to welcome our very first guest on the Arnott's podcast, Todd Vaziri. Todd is an industrial lights and magic visual effects wizard with an amazing career spanning over 20 years. He was lead artist on Star Trek Into Darkness, Tomorrowland, which I thought was a visual effects masterpiece, Transformers Dark of the Moon, and of course, most recently, The Force Awakens and Rogue One. Todd, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's really great to be here. You also forgot my personal favorite, Kurt Russell's soldier. <laughs> oh, you Which dug I, deep for that one, huh? I, I went and saw that in the theater. I'm not going to lie. It's a classic. You know why? Because I was not only a Kurt Russell fan, but I was a Jason Scott Lee fan from the uh, the Bruce Lee story that he was in. It's pretty amazing that that's Jason Scott Lee. He's, he's yoked in hey, that movie. <laughs> he, he underwent an amazing physical transformation. I think it was for that movie. Yeah, no, it definitely was. He went from like kind of lithe and, you know, toned for Bruce Lee. And then he just like bulked up into this space He-Man that was terrifying. Was Kurt Russell's character named Todd in that movie? I'm I'm fairly certain it was. Was it Todd? Let me just do a little. I might have been. Here. Was he named after you? Yeah. Were you like we got a, we got this uh, well, new compositor that, on the staff, and we want to we want to show him a warm welcome. <laughs> that's the pretty. That's the funny thing about like having um, relatives uh, who are not in you know don't understand the process of making movies mm-hmm. because there's a scene in the movie and it's actually ironically one of the scenes I worked on like with some graphics overlaid you know like a visual display and you see Kurt Russell there and you know name soldier name Todd. Right. And all these texts come by. And my uncle called me up and he's like, wow, we saw your movie. We loved it. And did you put your own name in there? Come on, man. "Um, Of course I did. Yeah. I thought I'd sneak that past him. (laughs) He's like, I'm I'm surprised I made the final cut. That's that's a pretty sloppy operation they got over there. (laughs) That that movie was a sidequel to Blade Runner. You realize that? Was it really? Was that a Philip K. Dick story? It was based on, I think it was based on a Philip K. Dick story or something like that, but it it, it lives in the world of Blade Runner. And in the junkyards where they they are, there's some like Blade Runner ships that are in the junkyard. Yeah. There's some Blade Runner designs back there. And I think they, I I don't know, they used it in the the marketing a little bit, the publicity. I don't think there's any direct links up, link ups to the Blade Runner, but it is in that world, if I remember correctly. That is, you know, it's funny that when we started this podcast, I didn't know we were going to have such a soldier appreciation going on here, but I have a new appreciation for the film. (laughs) This is uh, episode four of the Soldier Appreciation Podcast. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) We're still going strong. We're still finding new things to talk about. Easter eggs. Yeah, I was actually like, after Mortal Kombat, I was all in for Paul W.S. Anderson. I was a huge apologist. He had like a vet horizon. (laughs) I was like, these are fun movies. Stop trying to judge them on on, a, on the same level as other movies. It just it's not going to work. So Todd, we'd love to know how you got into the VFX world. I know that you have a couple directorial credits under your belt. Oh gosh, <laughs> we dug. <laughs> I okay. So being okay, those were college films that I was actually I was actually really proud of those because you know I I don't know if you guys were around on the early days of the internet when the IMDb was a you know uh, like. It, w- it was affiliated with like Mississippi State or something, but it was right. really, really young and new and you could pretty much <laughs> add any information onto it. Well, in the early days of the internet, <laughs> I was like, of course, I'm going to add my college films uh, on there. And I was one of those weirdos in film school that actually made action movies. So I'm really proud of those. Nice. Um, so uh, are they know, available? Proud of those. Uh, they are available in my house. Yes. Ah, <laughs> you're going to have to digitize them, figure out how to get those digital, those, oh, what is it? Oh, mini DV? Oh, what do you got there? I've, I've, okay. <laughs> they're in the, uh, the salt mine underneath my house. They're, <laughs> trust me, they're in really great shape. Um, it's one of the, uh, my wife worked on the sequel because we made one, uh, and then we made another one a couple of years later and they're just full on action movies, you know, as ac- exactly as what you would expect an action movie would be made by a bunch of dumb guys college kids uh it sounds like i need to see and, it and uh, doing really idiotic things like running around campus well running around campus with fake guns and screaming uh, at the top of your lungs there's always someone getting hurt by trying to jump over a wall yep. or something there's <laughs> <laughs> always breaking an ankle trying to be too good at what they're doing you know oh. And yeah, that was me. I mean, I played the bad guy because I knew I was not going to let anybody like do the dangerous things that I wanted to do. 
We had oh a uh, fight on top of a moving car. Um, <laughs> I held on to I, so I, classic. I held on to railings on a second story window, and I was just da- I was just holding on with my hands. Did and you like at that point you had wife, no idea like how grip strength worked and like what like how fast it would go away? <laughs> you know, it's it's the power of cinema was driving me. It was in my blood. Anything and, for, the, and then, for the camera, yeah. We can my, really associate with that. It's it's beautiful. My cinematographer is is down on the ground shooting uh, uh, up in the air and going, yeah, this looks great. This looks really awesome. And, you know, only like months later did we go, oh, God, that was really stupid. I could have broken both my legs and everything. Oh, yeah. You would <laughs> so, have just split in half. Anyway, that was... Uh, <laughs> It was a really dumb idea, but hey, the film is forever. Um, but uh, I was so that was your uh, always start. interested in. <laughs> yeah, that was my start. Now I was always interested in making movies, and I grew up with you know Star Wars and Back to the Future, and um, I bought all the action figures, and I would set up little um, scenes in my backyard and put the stormtroopers and the Millennium Falcon in the grass, and I would get out the still camera uh, and take a bunch of pictures, like make little. It's like storyboard scenes. I, I knew something with movies was going to be in my future. Yeah. And um, I think I was uh, 10 years old when Return of the Jedi came out. And I remember buying a Return of the Jedi magazine and which had, you know, like, oh, behind, go behind the scenes of how they, you know, where did they shoot the Endor and all this stuff. And they had an article about how they did the speeder bike chase. And um, I'm reading it and it's very basic. It's, it's it was made for kids. Yeah. And um, it talked about, you know, the the visual effects people at Industrial Light and Magic who did this to make the speeder bike chase. And I'm like, wow, that is a cool name. Industrial Light and Magic. Yo, I want that on a business card. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I went to film school and this is the early days of computer graphics. There wasn't a lot going on. Uh, at schools, but I was really interested in editing. And for a while I wanted to be an editor or a director or something like that. And then for some reason, visual effect, I kept coming back to visual effects and, uh, yeah. uh, really it was, um, the abyss, uh, seeing that in 1989 was like, wow, computer graphics is going to take over this industry. I, I really want to get involved somehow. And, um, when I graduated college, I, I actually, I loved visual effects so much. I read Cinefix magazine, you know, every, every word that came out. And, but I, you know, I was a kid in Chicago. I didn't know anybody in Hollywood. And, uh, I had a fa- I was from a family of doctors. Um, my, my dad was a doctor. My mom was a nurse and my brother and my sister ended up becoming doctors as well. So, you know, the idea of working in movies seemed pretty far out. So I started writing about visual effects and this new fangled thing called the internet. Um, oh yeah, and I started I've heard a website, it. and it was it's called uh, it was called Visual Effects Headquarters, and all I did was like track news about the visual effects world. I had a a, a listing of all the visual effects companies around the world, um, which you know this these are the early days. There was no such thing as like a ton of visual effects or animation websites. So it was really fun to be in on the ground floor. And, and while I was at this job at a a computer graphics company for kids animation, uh, for animated games, yeah, I I would do this on the side. And every once in a while I would be able to interview somebody from like Phil Tippett or something like that. When Starship Troopers came out and I got to interview him and, and, you know, really learning so much. It was, Oh my gosh, that was the one I was most nervous about. I'm like, Jeez, I'm interviewing Phil Tippett. I'm <laughs> this is this is not happening. And I probably botched up the interview. Gotta, is that site still around? I know you have your current blog, um, which we'll get into in a little bit. Your VFX or FX I, rant. I kept it around. But, uh, yeah, I kept visual effects headquarters around. I still sure, I'd sure. pay for the, the storage and because it's a it's a document. It's still um, all the information is still valid, um, particularly like um what I would do is I would yeah. I would list all the big visual effects movies that are out uh, that year, and I would list the companies that worked on it, who the visual effects supervisor was, and then sometimes a little blurb, and then sometimes a big review of the visual effects. And um, so I was doing that for a couple of years, and then I was like, I I got to I got to go for it. I have to try to make this work in Los Angeles. So I packed up my car and uh, drove out to L.A. And as I'm driving out to L.A., um, one of the 
people I got to know over the over the years was Van Ling at Band from the Ranch, uh, which is a, a mid-range visual effects company in yeah. Los Angeles. And he he emailed me, and he heard I was coming out uh, to L.A. to try to start my career. And he said, "Hey, do you want to start?" You know, do you want to test out this software with us for a couple of weeks and see how it goes? <laughs> and remind you, I'm in Denver stopping, you know, on my drive and I had to stop in an internet cafe to check my email. <laughs> wow. <laughs> had you been cultivating your own skills in that world at the same time that you were documenting where the progress was in, in Hollywood? A little bit. I, I, I definitely at that at, at that animation company, that kit, that games company that I worked on, I, I worked at, I definitely tried to steer my projects so that I would use Adobe Premiere or Adobe After Effects and do a lot more compositing and, and 2D animation work yep. uh, to just yeah. hone my skills. And then there would be the stuff on the side that we would do um, for fun. And I was able to cobble together a demo reel. I mean, it's, you know, it was pure student work. But it try it you know it gave a good idea of what I was trying to accomplish with compositing, and uh, you know Van I th I think he eventually saw that, um, but he gave me a chance and um, uh, things worked out really well. We got along really well, and we ended up working on a lot of movies together. And uh, he gave me my first big break. That's amazing. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I'm always impressed how the, all these different aspects of film, you know, editorial and directorial and music composition they all kind of live in the same place, you know? So I'm not surprised that you had a drive towards it, it from a general perspective. Yeah. And what I found is that at, at least at ILM, that a lot of folks there and a lot of folks in computer graphics in general come from a um, computer science background mm -hmm. and we need, uh, we need artists. And I don't particularly love working with computers. <laughs> I'm not a programmer. <laughs> yeah. I, I just give me the tools. Just give me the paintbrushes. I don't care how the paintbrushes were made. If there's a new paintbrush that's really cool, give it to me and I'll see what I can do with it. Yeah. Um, and that was me getting out there. We used Mac. So we used Adobe After Effects, which is as off the shelf as you can get. And we did hundreds of visual effects shots for major movies um, at Band from the Ranch in After Effects completely. Um, and that's something that Van loved, uh, you know, wore with a, a badge of honor that we can use these basic tools and do some amazing things and not break the bank. And uh, so it was a really good match for me. You know, Zach and I are uh, huge fans of practical effects and where they meet visual effects. And that's something that we really wanted to ask you about. Um, and since especially since you've had such a, a vast career spanning just so many different kinds of films with uh, all kinds of spectacular visual effects. It's not so much a debate, but there is always a conversation about when to go full on visual effects only or when to do practical effects or how those things kind of meet somewhere in the middle and, and what it means for film. Do you have sort of a, a position on that? Just really curious. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a loaded question. But... <laughs> there, but there's a couple I mean, there's there's a couple ways to attack this. And unfortunately, the, the main way is that because um, the visual effects community has not done the best job of of kind of illustrating how we contribute to a film. Um, the work that we do is only really noticeable when it's either really bad or really <laughs> outrageous. And it but it and it stays it, it, when it's outrageous, it's abstract. Uh, and it's like, how did they do this? It must be some kind of magic or some kind of software. What 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 technical wizardry is going on? And usually that's not the case. It's yeah. something, you know, that's just hard work and available tools. Right. Or when it's completely crappy work and it's obvious the the magician you know you could see right through the magician's hat that that's the the the, the rabbit is falling right out of the hat and everybody <laughs> right. likes to point and laugh and like ha ha you know so the idea of like practical effects and digital effects like there's some kind of war going on absolutely not there we are going are going to find the right tool for the right job so what people are reacting to when they say CGI is, you know, whatever, wrecking movies, they're talking about bad CGI. I mean, they're talking about right, right, right. obvious stuff. They're not talking about the CGI they either don't even know exists, which is every single major motion picture has hundreds <laughs> of visual effect shots and you don't even realize it. Right. Um, and then, of course, when the amazing, I mean, every movie, you know, the top 10 movies of the year are all visual effects movies, Marvel movies, Star Wars movies. Um they all have fantastic visual effects. 
Um, but uh, for some reason, people like to forget that, and they say CGI is ruining movies. So I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a complicated discussion. I actually feel like there is there is more exposure um, on that front, though, and that type of um, shining more light onto those type of visual effects. I saw uh, an article recently on Logan, for example, where it showed like what the background would have looked like in camera when he was just driving down the road as opposed to what it looked like in the film. And it was a ton of visual effects post-production work that made it look beautiful. And it was just something that you just, I'd, you wouldn't even have noticed in the shot because it was just a nice looking shot of him driving on the highway. But the amount of visual effects that went into that was, uh, was sort of eye-opening. It was like, this is just a normal scene. There's no obvious special effect thing happening. There's no special effect event happening on camera, but it's, but it, it did need that, that sort of touch. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to take your to take your Logan example, I mean, some of the stunt work that was done in that film could not be accomplished with Hugh Jackman and the uh, the little girl. So they had to have stunt performers do uh, some amazing uh, on the set, real life physical um, exertions that those the actors could not do. And yeah. some of those shots had full on CG head replacements. It's still the stunt person's body and all their actions, and they were able, able to choreograph that on the day with the right lighting, with everything, and get it in camera the way they wanted to, and then computer graphics would take over for the heads to make it that much more believable. I mean, that is the perfect uh, combination yeah, right the, there. The, marriage, the strong marriage is the best. Which actually brings me to a, a, another, another question we had for you. Um, I was uh, thinking the other day about how uh, Life of Pi was banned. I think it was banned in India because uh, they thought that uh, the filmmakers had a, an actual emaciated tiger <laughs> on set. Yeah. So the idea that the, this this CG, you know, has become so. I mean, like you said, there are lots of uh, subtle things that happen in films that people would never even notice. But here you have a fully CG uh, character, the whole film in in this in this tiger, and uh, people don't recognize it. But to me, the gulf was always, you know, the human face. Mm -hmm. And Star Wars films being uh, so innovative in visual effects just for decades and and having what I would argue is the most convincing CGI humans on film to date, I feel was a, a really bold choice for you guys. Um, you know, were there, were there any fears or sort of not de not doubt so much, but when you guys decided to take that that challenge on, was it like okay, let's sit down and really think about whether or not this is you know doable, <laughs> or because you know I'm not sure that we have gotten there yet until Rogue One, you know. Well, that's that's really great of you to say. I mean, um, yeah, fear might be a small word. <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny because when he was asking that I, I was trying to picture you be like i know where this is going because i followed some of the, the the back and forth on twitter between like you know uh you that you were dealing with that pablo was dealing with and not all of it was great you know people are people yeah. are very vocal about and, their opinions and i'll say when it comes to the rogue one digital human work i read uh every single comment that i could get my hands on i wanted to absorb every single piece of feedback and i think i took a few years off my life i should, probably should have done that i got a few extra gray hairs comments will do um, that no to you. and yeah. i i i i really and i usually don't i don't really give a crap if people like our visual i mean i want people to like our our work i want people to like our movies but um if people have a problem with some of the work that we do it's like that's that's fine with me i you know i can accept that but i really wanted to hear um what people thought because i think there's a lot of dimensions of perception with uh, uh, when we do something like that this movie was uh, the story was originated by John Knoll, mm -hmm. who was one of who's our you know chief creative officer at ILM, you know, a visual effects legend. And I seem to remember uh, many years ago uh, after he had pitched this idea uh, to me, I was like, oh, "Are you sure we really want to do this?" Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's been movies before where another actor comes in and plays a younger version or whatever. And people buy it. I mean, they get over it. They, you know, it's not them at the beginning, like in Looper. Um, yeah. You know, you got you got two very recognizable actors playing younger and older versions yeah. of themselves, and then you're you're a little bit taken aback by the makeup, but then you get into it, and the performance is really good. It's can't we just do that? And and he looked at me and he goes, Yeah, we could. But <laughs> this is ILM, bitch. Get on board. <laughs> we need to do stuff like yeah. that. That and and after he said that, I'm like, Okay, I get it. Uh, you know, we're ILM. 
we have to try these crazy, difficult, hard things because we yeah. are the things that we're going to learn and, and and we have to aim really high. We have to reach for the stars and because, you know, uh, building a T-Rex and computer graphics and, and making a pseudopod and, you know, making a speeder bike chase. I mean, those things had never been done before. Yeah. And yeah. we have to do this. We have to do this. I think that's a brilliant philosophy. There, there are always going to be cracks, you know, when you go back and, and look at anything. Um, but really what, what, what makes things stand out is the attempt to innovate by any turn. So it's the thing that speaks to me a lot is that so many people saw the film and didn't even realize that those characters were CG. When you're going in with expectations that, you know, about who the people are, who the actors are, and you're, you're just immersed in that world, of course, you're going to be looking with this skeptical eye and that, that alone might defeat your perception of it. But when people go in and not knowing maybe what the characters looked like or not even being affiliated with Peter Cushing or something, and they just think it's an actual person that to me speaks volumes, you know, that, that to me is the real test. I think as my brother, my little brother is quoted, he said, a word, that guy's dead. <laughs> he was, he thought he was, he, he was sold on the, on the, on the Cush, the Cushing. Uh, one of my favorite things to do um, after the film's release was to, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I was wearing an ILM hat or a Rogue One shirt or something like that, a crew shirt. And um, the checker at the grocery store said, hey, Rogue One, did you see that? And I said, yeah, I saw it. Uh, and then, I would, you know, what, what, what did you think of it? And uh, <laughs> they would say, oh, it was really good. And it was really sad when the ending and everything. And, and then I would start, you know, drilling. I'd say, well, what did you think of that, you know, the bad guy? Not, not the bad guy with the white cape, but the one he reported to. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's a good actor, you know, cool, pretty cool. And I keep drilling, you know, and I'm trying not to lead him on. Yeah. And I'm like, so... I mean, good performance. Was it over the top? Or was it yeah, no, it's just a good bad guy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I would finally let him in on the, and it this is usually somebody, uh, you know, like under 40 years old, let's say. Yeah. And um, they're, they're usually blown away. They've never heard of Peter Cushing. They, they're like, oh yeah, that was that guy in the first movie. Yeah. Wait, he must be super old. Now he's been dead for 20 years. <gasps> Wait, yeah. no. I like no, a picture sorry. of you is like, as you get to your, the, the climax of your conversation, like the music from Saw starts playing, like the reveal music. And you're just like, <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> he's been dun, dead dun, the dun. whole time. <laughs> you're handcuffed to your desk. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we made a joke about that in a Kylo Ren reviews Rogue One. He's like going off about the different actors and he mentions Peter Cushing and how you know, he's never been so good. <laughs> he's like, it's great to see him back. <laughs> it was like, that was, we tried to make our review like, like an honest review of like how we felt. So it was like, but still Kylo Ren, like he's still going to be like a hater, you know, for like the good guys, but he's still like, it's, yeah. damn, this is yeah. a good movie though. You know, I did, I was entertained by it. I, uh, I, I work really hard to try to figure out which uh, are all nuts uh, videos I can show my kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> Kylo Ren watching the uh, Rogue One trailer that that uh, passed the test. Oh, nice. I, I think there may. I, I don't think there's any curse words in that one. But if there, even if there are, it's Kylo, and you can barely understand. Are you a strict? So okay. You're a strict no curse word household. Is that a? Uh, well, I, you know, the kids have seen Back to the Future, so yeah. there's Marty, a few curse yeah, words in gets, that. He, yeah, he gets a little green. You know, the air turns. Or the air turns blue. Is that what it is? Not green. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you know, the I'm old, just trying to be old very tiny phrase. <laughs> trying to be really careful about what we show yeah. the kids and uh, but Raiders of the Lost Ark is coming up for her so oh, that's, nice. that's going to be really fun there's some yeah there's some questionable stuff in that for me it was always uh, you know sometimes we'll actually get complaints from people about our use of swear words and I'm like you're okay with Bane just like snapping some dude's neck but like you don't like it when he says bitch like I don't under like he's killed that guy for no reason because he's a better rapper like that has far reaching implications more than just words <laughs> It's uh my 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 household was very loose though growing up. Like my parents figured if like they said it was okay, then it wouldn't be as cool. And they were they were right. You know we we knew how to control it, and you know we knew when it was we were responsible with it. We used responsibly. <laughs> Coming back to Star Wars, we have a bunch of a sort of fa our own favorite visual effect shots. One of our favorites is of course Vader's uh, starship like coming out of warp, and just deflecting a bunch of you know ships trying to bail from the from the battle isn't that such a great scene Dude, that it's, was, it's yeah, absolutely that, that, it's, it's absolutely so incredible cool. whose idea was that? 
I got every that time happened on the directorial that, side or the visual effects side. Like, who? Where did that come from? Because that's I'm, such a crazy idea. I'm not entirely sure, but I gotta say, whenever when we were watch, working on that sequence and the Star Destroyer comes out of warp, um, uh, it comes out of hyperspace, and the one of the um, if I, uh, I can't remember which ship actually gets destroyed, but basically like a <laughs> it's a giant passenger ship. Yeah, yeah. It gets slammed, and every single time that looped up through you know we, we would everybody would be making voices like uh finally we're gonna be able to get away yeah oh no and then slam. <laughs> somebody would have new break, a, a break, new funny comment break. oh but, uh, classic that hard thing, to port, that thing hard is to port. that thing is like it's such a just a baller move too to just like enter a battle like that with no like <laughs> like no care in the world about what you hit you're just like i'm here for one reason and it's murder <laughs> it's yeah, no, it's it's brilliant, and I think from a visual per effects pers perspective, it's just another great example of saying, you know, we have these tools. What what kind of crazy event can we make in this sequence that that nobody's ever seen? You know, it's yeah. gonna give this wow factor with with these characters, with these ships that you know about. And, yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's what's that's what I love about like the the fact that it's the franchise is continuing because visual effects will allow you guys to take. Uh, to expand on these ideas that were implanted, like hyperspace was something that we just had to sort of like, it was almost a suspension of disbelief. All we knew of it was just the, the you know, the, the light lines passing through windshields, but then you guys turn it into a weapon basically. And because you're, because of your, the, your ability to, to take it in a new direction. And I'm, I'm really excited to right. see how that stuff goes. Yeah. That, this, that space, that space, no, I, but it brings up a cruel point, a cool point that, you know, like for the space battle, aesthetically, you know, we we want if if you could if you could probably tell that we were really doing everything we could to um, remind you of the aesthetic and the feeling of a new hope and Empire Strikes Back. So yeah, designing yeah. a space battle that had that feel while still not being as stoic as some of the camera moves that were you know limitations of the technology at the time, um, mm -hmm. and it, you know to to meld that together to be something that's really super dynamic and interesting and. And yet feels like this is exactly how a space battle should be at this time frame. You know, that was a fun choreographic uh, moment. And, uh, you know, helping us all along the way are the, um, the, you know, like a bed of sound that is consistent throughout the series that really helps the viewer feel like they're in the, that zone where you f you hear those same blasters, you hear the TIE fighter flyby sound effects and that, 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 oh, you know out. that, that yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know that, you know that that yeah, gets I mean, us we, when we hear those sounds, that's in particular where, and I even like, I appreciate the, uh, in the new films, you know, like force awakens, how the tie fighters have a slightly different sound. Like they're newer, they're a different model. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. you, you could tell someone like really thought about that and put some work into it. You guys are totally nailing all of the aesthetics in each direction. You know, Rogue One going back uh, and being a continuation from Empires feels pretty flawless. And then The Force Awakens moving forward in the series is also retaining the things, but still shifting in these cool ways. It's just really exciting. Did you say continuation from Empire? <laughs> I might have actually said that. Yeah, I think I, I didn't mean to say that. You, um, you hang your head yeah, in from, shame, sir. <laughs> Hey, I, I'm the guy who thinks that the uh, the trench run happens on the horizontal plane. Yeah, that's me. I was right there yeah. with you. Speaking of which, yeah, let's uh, let's. I want to talk about that too because we brought up your blog a little bit ago, uh, FX Rant, and you had this article that kind of. I don't. Know, I, I mean, it, it blew up for me because it showed up on a couple of my favorite sites. I don't know if it actually like blew up, but. It seemed to get a lot of it, play. It did. It was, uh, yeah. strangely enough, uh, I think the most popular article I've ever written. Yeah. Well, you definitely had to turn the comments section off for some reason. I'm curious about... <laughs> I sure did, yes. Uh, what happened there. But basically, um, if people aren't familiar, you wrote an article that was about the Death Star's final trench run and where it actually took place because a lot of people just unconsciously, I think, just assume that it takes place around the equatorial trench that uh, around the Death Star, but which is incorrect because you see that in action and it's like a thoroughfare basically for uh, entering and exiting and none of that is happening during the trench run. Yeah. I mean, this literally happened, I mean, this discovery to us, uh, to a few of us happened in a daily session one day and, you know, we have a lot of Rogue One um, Death Star shots mm -hmm. 
and John Knoll was using his laser pointer, and he's like, okay, we need to add detail to the Death Star in this little section right here. And he's pointing to a north-south uh, meridian, and he's like, you know, yeah, that's that's exactly where the final trench run happens. And a bunch of us looked at each other, and we're like, what is he... Did, this guy's what smoking is talk- crack. What is going Vertical? on up here? <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? So, uh, you know, I think Vic Schutz and I kind of maybe even looked at each other, and we are like, what? Should we, should we speak up and ask him to elaborate? And we're like, what are you talking about? So he's like, okay. And then he, he, he basically laid it all out, which I do in the article. And it's like, gosh, I feel really dumb uh, that it was not the equator the whole time. But to me, the, the more interesting part was like trying to decipher why yeah, we yeah. felt that way. Uh, and this is the magic of movies and, and cinema and motion and angles. And I, I kind of I, I think I figured out why um, we all uh, convinced ourselves that it was the, uh, the equatorial. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, basically because of a few shots that lead up to the to the trench run. It gives some of the X-Wings as they peel off. They, they have that uh, dis- very distinct um motion as if they're about to go down the equatorial trench which you see in the shot mm-hmm. and then later you see those povs of the x-wing and y-wing that actually sail down into the trench mm-hmm. and you know our brains put those together and the sc- screen direction is a powerful thing yeah. um also uh the very fact that the you know the sphere has only two recognizable geometric shapes yeah the the dish and the equator yeah. That's the only thing you could see from space. Right. And so your brain was like, okay, big, long trench. Okay. It's got to be the equator, you know, yeah. without, without any additional evidence. Um, but nope, it's up near the North pole. And, uh, <laughs> it, I, we were so excited about it. I actually tweeted about it and the day I figured it out, but I didn't tweet exactly what it was. And, and here's why, because I'm a person working on a star Wars movie. If I, I don't, talk about any star wars stuff while i'm working on a star wars movie because i don't even want to give the remote i'm not gonna i don't want to be coy about something that's coming up with what i'm working on i mean even when i i just talk about simple editing things or a 180 degree line on uh on on my on twitter a lot of people respond with oh is this some scene that you're working on for no 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 no. i'm not being coy i trust me so if back in February I actually tweeted out like this, wow, this amazing thing about the Death Star. Did you know that the trench is that? I mean, there would have been such a storm of why you know, are you talking about the You know, <laughs> the Death Star's yeah. trench runs definitely going to be in Rogue One. And I, I so I, I yep. waited a whole year to uh, oh, I sat on it for a year and it was killing me. I really wanted to write this article because I knew people would really enjoy it and it would it would be a, a cool topic for discussion. So that's why I waited until after the release so nobody would even remotely yeah. connect it with Rogue One. <laughs> I think that's the danger though when you do such great work. It's it's like the fan base is always going to think that everything is is real down to to, to the finest details. You know, I yeah. mean, how much are you guys just making up on the fly? And sort of saying we'll figure that out sort of later. I mean, there are always you know physics engines that are going to tell you how things should should sort of operate in the the physical world, you know. But then, how many things are you guys creating that just don't have any actual rules at the foundation <laughs> determining what they how they at work? You know, I, I I won't be specific, but there was this one thing in Rogue One that I was tasked with designing, and I you know, tried to do my due diligence. Have we ever seen this before in any of the movies or any in rebels? Cause I, I know the movies pretty well, but I right. don't know rebels and clone wars. Have we ever seen this ship do this thing, for example? And I went through all the proper channels. I talked to Pablo Hidalgo. I talked to John Knoll, everybody. And they're like, Nope, it's never been done. Have at it. Just come <laughs> up with something. And yeah. that's like, Oh, that's heaven. I get to create new canon. That's great. And wow. it's in the movie, and and people see it, and it's now everybody's going to be referencing that. So that that's yeah, cool. It's be, working within a franchise has is exciting. What was it exactly? You you buy the Blu-ray, buy <laughs> ten of the Blu-rays. <laughs> it's like you you will piece the puzzle together. Watch it. I don't know. I no, <laughs> I can't talk about it. <laughs> no, nah, fair enough. Fair enough. Why did you have to close the con- the, the comments on this thing? Were you getting death threats or something? What is uh? 
I think we know. I think we know why. We know there. No, were the I, I, I got. Uh, there were a couple nasty uh, comments, and I didn't need anybody. I, I, if it, if it were up to me, I would turn off comments on the blog entirely. And I, yeah. it is up to me, so I don't even know why I don't do it right now. But um, <laughs> uh, a couple people got nasty, and I didn't need people commenting. I knew that. I knew that when I was five. And I'm like, yeah. okay, whatever. Good for you. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. So I turned it off. Yeah, it's like congratulations. You're definitely getting laid now. Like, what do you? What, what was the point of that? Like, <laughs> it's so weird. Um, that was a great article, though. It was pretty funny because I had definitely just oh. I, you know I didn't even think about it. It wasn't even a conscious thing that, I, but I knew just unconsciously that it was that it had to be this the equator, you know. And it was because that's like you said, that's the trench. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And that's, you know, this is, that summarizes like the magic of cinema for me. It's like, yeah. it, it really takes you to different worlds and it can alter your perception and open up your mind to, to cool new things. And, you know, it's just a bunch of people making this stuff and we're doing the best we can. And the next generation of filmmakers will do the best they can and yeah. making and, cool art. Yeah. And you guys got to deal with all, it's like the responsibility of it as well, I think is funny because you got people that are like, you know, the, the, the term my childhood comes up a lot as if it's some sort of ownership that you guys are now in, like custodians <laughs> of. <laughs> it's like, it's such a weird, and it's, you're just making movies, you know, you're having fun. Yeah. And especially before the movie's done, you know, it's like, if once, <laughs> before, while we're making the movie, it's ours. Yeah. Okay. When the movie's done, it is yours. Yeah. These are your characters and we're going to do the best we can to be, to respect those characters. I, I think it was, um, uh, John Lasseter that was talking about like the toy story and it was his revelation that after the first toy story film, it's like this, people have taken our characters and run with them and, and it's, they're theirs now and we need to respect that. And, uh, yeah. I, I just full, you know, once, once the movie's done, this is, this is your stuff. Everybody enjoy it, please. This is why we do it. Yeah, but let us have our time to make the movie first. <laughs> it's rough. I mean, people are just digging constantly. There's no shortage of just uh, people just trying to figure. They want to be the first one to like get to to be right about whatever the, the the perceived twist. The fact that everybody just thinks there's going to be a twist in everything now. It's just like, what's the big thing that like nobody can guess? Um, on that note, you know, there's a there's a lot of popular theories going on out there. Uh, we just want to ask you, just right out, you know, point blank, is Luke Skywalker, Finn's father. And the the connection was breaking up there. I don't I don't I I don't know what you were saying. Uh, sorry. Uh, Skype. Damn Skype. Sorry. Uh, what what what's your next question? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you'd like to see happen? Uh, we're we're so happy to have you as our first guest. Uh, we'd like to ask you if you have any requests for the Arlnot Star Wars universe. Oh gosh, maybe Kylo critiquing his own performance. We thought about that, like the weird twist that's going to happen when because we've we've pretty much consciously made an effort to keep it within the timeline yeah. of Episode Seven, and we at some point it's going to have to advance. You, you'll be you'd be bending the dimension on itself. Yeah. So yeah, I, I we, understand. We actually, but, if you can ask you, know, you a what small is canon, favor, man, come on. Yeah. What is canon? The, We'd actually ask you for a small favor. Could you just give us like 10 more seconds of Kylo Ren, like POV watching something? <laughs> I'll put it a call. All right. Just see if you can hook us up. Maybe just a different With like no angle. No smoke in the background. Yeah. No smoke, static uh, background. No and no camera movement. No pushing or pulling, you know? It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a static <laughs> shot of Kylo Ren. I'll see what we can do. Get us an Optimus Prime too while you're at it. We couldn't find a good Optimus Prime for our last video. <laughs> I don't know. Hasn't he died a few times? He's Isn't always he like dying. Yeah, something? he's always just floating yeah. through space at this yeah, point. Yeah, he's just a hunk of rock right now. He's a meteor. <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw the video we did where he was playing games with Kylo, but we just we made a joke out of the fact that we couldn't find good Prime footage for like a little Skype call, so we just had like we put an icon on there as if his camera was disconnected. <laughs> That was uh, that was our workaround. <laughs> you know what? You call Michael Bay for that one. You know, it's <laughs> so Todd. We've been following each other on Twitter for a while now. Yeah, I think it's been years now since we've just been trading. Yeah, yeah. You know, comments and stuff back and forth. But that's uh, I, I, when did exactly did you get on board? What was the video that? Uh, um, it was probably Bane, Bane outtakes. Probably. Oh, from the from, from day one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Because, uh, you know, f- using found footage and messing around with Foley and dialogue, and it's like, you know, that's why it, right up my wheelhouse, you know. I did a lot of that <laughs> when I was a kid, and, uh, you know, so I'm like, oh, my gosh. And these guys are pros. This is not... <laughs> and, and then I would be... I'd, I'd have to run it backwards, and I'm like, wait a second. They just replaced the entire soundtrack. This is amazing. This is awesome. <laughs> and I would, I would ship it around to my friends, and oh, my gosh. I, I, I just loved it. Loved it. Um, that That's pretty funny that that's... Uh, you, we've got a few... Uh, from Bane Outtakes, we got a few uh, viewers in like your caliber. You say it was like you were pretty early. We had uh, Chuck Wendig has become a pretty good friend. Yeah. Pablo is on there. I think he just unfollowed us recently, though. I'm not sure what <laughs> what happened there, but oh, uh, oh, you don't know why? Oh, oh, how oh, embarrassing! Oh. oh, is that a Star Wars uh, <laughs> secret? Is that an industry? <laughs> I like, uh, yeah, it looked like he cleaned house a little bit. He's down yeah. to a few followers. Yeah. Um, just that life just must be stressful. Cause I see like, even in his, his bio, he's like, I don't take pitches. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know how just, he lives his life. I, it's, it's, it's a crazy life. And he's, he's just the sweetest, nicest, awesomest guy. And, um, uh, you know, but it, having a few good interactions with with fans though does make it worth it. I mean, because yeah, we, we both does. remember what it's like to be a fan and to be so interested in movies in general and characters and world building. Um, speaking of fans, uh, being a fan growing up with Star Wars and having gone through that down that path that you did to work your way into the industry, did you feel that once you were in there and working on films and you sort of get a chance to look behind the curtain, uh? Did you feel that there was any kind of magic lost now that you're creating the new thing? Or do you feel a sort of different kind of magic being behind it? Well, I would say that, you know, knowing, having a better understanding of how movies are made throughout the years and and then being a part of these these franchises, which I love so much, like Star Trek and Star Wars, um, it is it is great to switch gears and become an author of that. It is it is you know I have a lot of pride and we're we, I'm you know we're one of these one of the many people who are trying to make the best product we can. But here's the deal: there's so many great films being made and so many great filmmakers out there that when I go to see a movie and the movie's awesome, I am not thinking about process at all. I'm not thinking about how they did the visual effects. I'm not thinking about you know oh my gosh I can't believe they cast that actor or how, where do they shoot this? I, I, I'm right. totally enveloped in the story. Now, if the movie is not interesting, that's when you start, you know, wow, the costume designer did a really good job on that. You know, that your mind wanders <laughs> right. and that's when you start to, you know, see continuity errors and you start, and, and then yeah. you see, you know, you can, if you, if you know, if you watch enough movies, you can kind of peek behind the curtain and you can kind of tell the artifice of the whole thing. But when it's a right, good right. movie, I, I don't think about that stuff at all. And there's so many great movies being made now. And, and uh, you know, I just like, look at the look at this year so far. It's it's only three months in and there's been so many I know. amazing films that people are loving. I've probably seen more movies this year than I have like in the last couple of years combined. I was I had a huge dearth of movie viewing. Uh, you know, I was just like Netflix shows for a while. And then this year I've just been. I think also the advent of the reserved seating at theaters has changed everything. I'm like so much more motivated to go to the theater. That's what's your what's your top movie this year? Non something you've worked on, like unrelated, um, just as a fan. Well, for 2016, it's uh, I'm I got small kids, so getting out to the movies is uh is kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of tough, but um, it's a family experience. Yeah. yeah. So when we go to the movie theaters, it's a uh, yeah, it's a, it's a family thing. Um, but last year, uh, Arrival was uh my favorite yeah. movie uh the my favorite studio movie um that's ours as well I, yep yeah that was I, our top 2016 absolutely love that everything about it i can't wait to watch it again um oh word of warning though our friend uh my friend timmy mentioned he tried to order it on google play and if you don't turn subtitles on the aliens subtitles don't show up at the end of the film. And it's so jarring because you need them to be there. It like, he's like, he was thinking of people that had never seen the movie. And this was the first time seeing it. He's like, they would think this movie sucked because that scene relies so heavily. Oh, on those that is messed up. That's a terrible, yeah, terrible. They, I don't bug. know if they fixed them. Yeah. It's, 
It's it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, so that word of word of warning, if you rent it, yeah. that's uh, look out for that. Try and fix oh, that. Oh, just in buy it. It's such a great movie. Just don't, yeah. a sight unseen. <laughs> Anybody listening to this, just buy Arrival. Come on. <laughs> Um, we talked it up in a previous podcast too. If people haven't gotten on board now, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if there's any yeah. helping them. Um, and then uh, Moonlight, I really loved. And uh, let's see, what was over last year? Yeah, I mean, like, look at those two. Those two movies couldn't be more different, and they're just just so exciting. And these new filmmakers, and ah, just love it. And then and then you like you see a movie like Arrival, and I I, I loved Sicario, which that director did previously, and I yeah, I haven't do, seen right? um, yeah. Prisoners, so that means oh, I get to go back and watch Prisoners, and then pretty soon yeah. he'll be doing the Blade Runner sequel. It's yeah. like, come on, he's doing. Bla- he actually got tapped. There was a rumor he was going to do Dune too. They're just like overloading this kid now yeah. after Arrival. He's and uh, he, if he if he can do it, that's great because we love the arrival and and like we have just from his aesthetic from arrival, his patience, you know, his his visual language. We have a lot of hopes for Blade Runner. And if he wants to tackle Dune, I mean, that's 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 toppled kings. We'll see what he can do with it. <laughs> yeah, but but like you said, Todd, it's amazing that uh, that films are just always pushing the envelope. There are always interesting things happening, and it's always really impressive. And I think. You guys are right there leading the way, you know, with these new films. And it's it's just great. No, well, thank you very much. It's really nice to hear. Yeah, I think that's a good wrap up spot. Anything else you want to? Yeah, Todd, uh, now is a good time if you want to, you know, plug any upcoming personal projects that you might be working <laughs> well, on. Well, that's OK. Uh, yeah, I'm working on. Let's see. One, two, three, four. I got, I got to get this right. I think this is my fifth space franchise movie of a particular franchise so yeah okay fifth okay put that put code that all together got it got <laughs> it <laughs> crunch the numbers i, I believe just <laughs> feed if, it if, into the super we'll give you we'll give people the uh yeah we'll give people the rosetta stone i think you started with episode two right yeah. <laughs> that's the cipher um it's funny talking to you and, and like when we DM and like and just you know BS. It, it's almost like talking to a spy. They have they can't you can't tell me anything directly. It's just hints and and portents. Well, luckily we've developed um uh, basically a sonic version of that device in Men in Black where you flash it in somebody's eyes, but uh, mm. but ours is like a tone. That's powerful. So yeah, anything we can just you know you know we won't don't abuse that power, but you know anything that you've said here tonight. Uh, we could just you know, yeah. drop that. And the crazy thing is you don't even know whether or not we've used it on you already. <gasps> Wait, where am I? Where, where? I've used it on myself like 15 times. It's Why awesome. am I not wearing pants? What is going on? Jeez. The microphone. Where is my wallet? <laughs> this whole thing was just a ruse to get like the wa- whatever cash you had on you. We sent a man in. <laughs> well, Todd, it was a pleasure, man. Yeah, it was great to absolutely. finally talk to you uh, voice to voice. Uh, yeah, Todd, th- thanks, thanks so much. It was awesome having you. Um, re- a real honor to have you as our first guest, and thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, thanks. It, it it was a real pleasure. We'd love to get out there and, and meet you guys one of these days. Oh. I know that's always been talked about. We'd love to have you. All right, so that was our interview with Todd. We just want to give him another huge thanks for joining us on the podcast. It was really fantastic. Yeah, it was a little ass kissy of an interview, but you know it's for good reason. We're fans, and he's he's a badass. Uh, so you can check him out at um, on his Twitter account. Uh, at T Vaziri, V A Z I R I, and check out his blog too. It's uh, fxrant.blogspot.com. And uh, just go hit him up if you enjoyed the interview. You know, go let him know and, you know, send, send him all of our love. 100%. And maybe we will get a chance to go out to visit ILM sometime soon. Yeah. That would be a thing. All right. It'd be a great thing. Yep. That's it. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us on the podcast. And. Until next time. Stay tuned oh, for a next time. Yes, stay tuned. Yes. We're out. <laughs>